You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of South Hills Church in Corona, California. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at southhills.org forward slash corona. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. And if you are taking notes, the title of my message is Connections and Curses. So we're like, that sounds so uplifting. Thank you for talking about curses. Um, I, uh, I had the, I've been having these, uh, these headaches, and uh, I've had migraines for uh, a long stretch of my life, and, and they have sort of moved around my, my head. How many of you have ever had a migraine before? It, they are just debilitating. They're atrocious. They're horrible. I get sick to my stomach. I get dizzy. And, um, but I, I noticed <clears throat> a couple of months ago that I was getting a very specific strain of migraines. Like it was all coming from this like left shoulder right here. It was like this, this muscle was just like attacking my body and it was all tensed up. And in fact, you could sort of tell that there was something wrong there because I was like, I was sort of like gradually, like it was tensed up and I was kind of walking around like this. Um, Esmeralda. So I was like, there was something wrong, right? I was starting to look a little hunchbacky and my wife was like, you should check that out. It was, but like this muscle was spasming and like wreaking all this havoc in my head. And I went to the doctor to just be like, I got to figure out what's going on. I need this to stop. I, it's, I'm, I'm losing productivity, which is to me the, the biggest frustration. And, um, and so I went to my doctor and I came in and it was like, Size me up right away. I don't know if you ever had a doctor do this before. Like, just as I'm walking it, like he's looking at the chart, walks in, I was like, oh, okay. So it's the, you're having some headaches in the shoulder, right? And I was just like, what tipped you off? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're, you're very intelligent and perceptive. And, um, and he's like, yeah, I know exactly what's wrong. And I'm like, well, don't keep it to yourself. Uh, tell the rest of us. It was just me. Um, I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, it's, it's, uh, it's your ankle. And I, was as confused as you are right now. And I was looking at the wall. I was trying to see, like, is there an actual degree hanging somewhere? Like, where, where am I? He told me to meet him at a 7-Eleven. I was starting to think, like, is this not a real doctor? Wait a minute. Um, and he was like, no, no, it, it's, it's your, it's your ankle. Trust me. And I'm like, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Okay. I know I'm not like, I'm not like medically professionally trained. Okay. But I know enough of the children's song to know that the ankle bone is connected to the leg bone. Okay. <laughs> Not the shoulder bone. Is there a shoulder bone? I don't know. But they don't, they're not connected directly. And so he brings me over. He has me stand up. He walks over to this like old uh, sort of poster on the wall. And it's the, the poster. You've probably seen this in like a doctor or a chiropractic or massage office before where it's like, it's like the person, you know, died and then was cut in half. And you just kind of see their insides and they're labeled. And he was showing like all like the nerve system. He's like, this is actually what's happening. Like your, 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 your ankle, which, which I sprained really horribly towards the middle of COVID. He's like, you, you have been like keeping pressure off of it. So you've been putting all your pressure on your other leg, which has kind of cocked your hip to the side, which has put all this pressure on your lower back. Um, and so your one shoulder has kind of slinked down and you're carrying everything on this side. And so you're pulling this shoulder up to compensate. And, uh, some of you are like, you're walking like this. Yeah. That's how I was walking. Okay. And he's like, and so this, this injury right here, because it hasn't completely healed and there's still problems with it and you're, it's tender, so you don't really want to rehab it. That's causing problems here, which is causing problems here. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm looking at him 
And I'm realizing this is not a joke. He's being very serious. And he's like, we need to begin to rehab your ankle more completely so that you can stop having headaches. And of course, I was like, what are you, what? And so he does some work on my ankle and gives me these stretches to do. He's like, let me show you how to walk. And I'm like, this is embarrassing. I'm like 40 years old. This guy's like, let me teach you how to walk. And I'm like, I've been doing it for a long time. And he's like, you've been doing it wrong, okay? And he shows me kind of like how to walk to rehab this ankle. And I'm like, okay, I'll try it because you're going to be wrong. And then we'll both see who the real doctor is. And um, he was right. I'm never going back there because I don't want to admit that, that he was more right than me. But I I was amazed at how addressing this one thing that seems completely disconnected from this other thing seemed to remedy the problem that I was having. I remember being in his office and him trying to explain, seeing that I was so confused about the way all this stuff works, because a lot of us, especially in a, 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 you know, a postmodern world, right, a post-enlightenment world, we tend to think of things as very disconnected. But it, he, was, he was saying something to the effect of like, you know, everything is interconnected. In fact, when I think back of it, he, he said something, this is my summation of essentially what he was trying to communicate to me, like everything's interconnected. Like, in fact, your pain point isn't necessarily your primary problem. And in fact, when you come in, the thing that you're presenting to me isn't usually the issue. If you want to get better, you're going to have to look beyond the symptom and locate the source. And I've been thinking so much about this idea because I think it relates to more than, than, than just me. I think it relates to more than just physicality. I think there's a lot here. But this is frustrating to me on every imaginable level. Like, I don't like to admit that this could possibly be true because interconnectivity is incredibly inconvenient because a lot of times when I'm having an issue in one area, I just want to isolate and address that one thing. I don't want to have to look at all this other stuff. I don't want to have to deal with this other thing. I don't want to admit that maybe this could be affecting that. Can we just target this? And yet, if everything is interconnected, that doesn't quite work outright. And yet, I wonder if you do this too. You ever go into the doctor and you're just like, listen, can you just give me some medication to lower my blood pressure, okay? And then the doctor's all trying, he wants to talk about like, listen, is your job, you know, stressful? Are you eating a lot of salt? Do you exercise? And you're just like, I don't really want to talk about that stuff, okay? Can you just give me some pills? That's why I came. I came for magical pills to target one specific thing. I don't want to talk about the interconnectedness of all this other stuff. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. That sounds inconvenient. Sounds like a lot of work. You just give me a painkiller to numb out these headaches that I'm having. Like, I mean, I, I don't want to talk about how much I consistently crane my neck at night because I'm playing a game on my phone for hours on end. I don't want to talk about that, okay? Because I'm about to break a record on Crossy Road, and I need this. I need this. I don't want to stop doing that to address this. Like, can you just prescribe me something to just sort of like help or magically heal my ulcer. I don't really want to talk about my toxic relationships and my codependency issues. I'd rather just give me some medications because I don't want to have to deal with all of the stuff. And here's what's crazy. Like this is this thing that is inconveniently true physically, I I would argue is also true 
on, on a social and spiritual level as well. In other words, like, like each part of your body is connected, okay? But we are all connected as part of a body. Like both of these things are true at the same time. In, in the same way that you have all these body parts and one thing pings into another thing is connected to another thing, that we are all interconnected as people, as a community. And there's a lot of evidence of this inside of scripture. There's one a really famous verse that you may be familiar with, even if you're not like a churchy person. And this metaphor that, that Paul gives is this exact idea. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ, that we're like a collective of interconnected people. And when we forget or we forsake this, we start to feel the symptoms of it. And in our society, that tends to be very individualistic. And on the heels of a COVID crisis that has further peeled a lot of us apart and kind of sectioned us off on our own, isolated and alone, we're starting to see the symptoms. And the reason why I bring this up particularly is because there is this conversation that unfolds towards the very tail end of the Old Testament between God and his people that looks very, like, eerily similar to the same conversation that I had with my doctor about the interconnectedness of all things and the effect it has on us. And I think this thing, although it's not entirely aimed at us, has a lot to do with us. God connects the dots between these two things that seem disconnected to these people, and it begins to change the way that they see and evaluate everything. And I, I hope that maybe there's a little bit of that that hits your life today. This, this passage I'm talking about, this story is found, uh, the last book in the Old Testament. It's called Malachi, or Malachi, if you prefer the Italian pronunciation. And there's this disconnection, right, that, that uh, the people of God are sensing and experiencing uh, but they're pretty sure it's God's fault, and they're not sure why. And this conversation unfolds, and God, uh, we're going to drop in on the middle of the conversation in Malachi chapter 3, halfway through verse 7. This is what it says. This is God talking. He says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? It's a very logical, now it's starting to sound like a Seinfeld bit, right? Should people cheat God? This is him responding. Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? This is sounding almost like a back and forth of a relationship a little bit. I wonder if you've ever had this sort of moment in a relationship where you felt that there was something weird between you and the other person, and you weren't sure what it was, but you were sure that there was something going on, and you were just kind of like, hey, is there like a, a, a thing? And they were just like, yeah, there's a thing. And you're like, okay, wow, we've, uh, we've identified it. And you're like, what, what, what was it? Like, what, what did I do, right? And you're like, listen, if you want to reconnect with me, I'll reconnect with you, but you got to admit what you did. And, they're, and they're, you're thinking like, I would love to. I, I don't know what I did. And then they get real mad. Now, this has happened to you recently, or even on the way here. Just pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about, okay? And they're just like, what do you mean you don't know? 
you know. It's the thing that you did last Friday, and you're like, Friday, Friday, Friday. You can't think of anything that happened on Friday. <clears throat> That was like a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like, so you start apologizing for everything, everything that you can think of, even things that you thought were good and you don't guess any of the things. And that's kind of a little bit what's happening here. And yet these people, kind of like us in that situation, God's people, at least at this point in the story, they really don't know why there's a disconnection that exists between them. They, they, they really aren't tuned into it yet. They know that there's something off in their lives, but they don't necessarily know what or why. And so they go to God, and his response is like, isn't it obvious? And they're like, mm, I feel like we should say yes, but no. <laughs> and so he clues them in further. And this is what he says. Verse 8, he says, You have cheated me on the tithes and offerings due me, and you're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Now, this, this nation is talking about the spiritual community because there's a emerging of the church and state at this point in history in this particular location. So he's saying, like, your whole spiritual community has been sort of shortcutting this thing, and because of it, you're cursed. Now, I can feel some of you tensing up a little bit, right? Like, all the muscles in your body, you're going to end up walking out of here like this, too. Right, because you probably have this nervousness, uh, probably somewhat connected to maybe past experiences. Uh, be, you're thinking like, I'm going to tell you that if you don't give to our church, then God is mad at you and you are going to hell in a handbasket. I never understood that part. Why a handbasket? Somebody get back to me on that. But you should know this, that like, this, this passage isn't really directed towards us. It's directed to a specific group of people during a specific time for a specific reason. And I, I want to unpack a little bit of that because I actually think that when we get into the context and we understand what it means to them, then we can, we can sort of understand what it might mean to us now. And, and even though, like, you know, me telling you this like you want to believe that's true. There's probably still a little bit of you that cringes when you think about preachers talking about money because maybe there's part of you that sort of thinks about this sort of thing. You think about like, like a televangelist, you know what I mean? Like asking you for something, right? You're thinking about Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, you know what I mean? You're thinking about the idea of... Gretchen and I are thinking about bringing back this look, by the way. I just, I'm going to open it up for a vote later. I have those glasses, and she is willing to spray paint on that makeup. She is, I'm telling you guys, it would be worth it, right? Maybe this is sort of what you think. Like, anytime, like, money comes up into church, you, like, sort of envision someone reaching through a television screen in the late 1980s for your love gift of 1995 today. You could be healed of something minor, not something major, because that's going to get a bump up to another financial category. You think of the funds being misconstrued. You think of like the shadiness, the manipulation. Think of the pressure, the guilt, the shame. I want to peel some of that away. I want to, I want to look at what this is really saying <clears throat> to them. And I, I think there's something that we can gather from it too. And I, I think one of the ways to do this is, is to begin with a few definitions. Like there's a lot of things that are being said, but what, what do these things mean? And so I want to just peel apart some of these words. God in this passage says that, that these people have cheated him. What does it mean to cheat, right? To cheat someone or to cheat at something. To cheat is 
is essentially to act dishonestly or unfairly to get what you want. And some of you are like, you didn't need to tell me that. I have a kid who plays Monopoly. Like, I understand, right? <clears throat> and you don't have to look very far to kind of like wonder maybe what this feels like or looks like in, in sort of a religious environment. If we could just go back to the previous slide, okay? You can <laughs> catch a glimpse of that. There we go. And then there's this other word <clears throat> that gets used that sometimes throws us for a loop. This word tithe. And essentially what this is, it's, it's a predetermined percentage of income given to God through your local church, your local spiritual community to help meet the practical and spiritual needs of other people. And so these people in this story are supposedly cheating God because they didn't tithe, which, you know, I guess just using my powers of logic, okay, would have to mean that they understood the expectation in order to break it, right? Like, how could God accuse them of breaking the rules if they didn't know the rules in the first place? And, and they actually did, or at least they, they did it one time, even if it sort of slipped their memory or kind of been demoted in priority. Where did this idea come from? It comes from the Old Testament law. And this may be something that you've never explored or have understood before, but we speak of tithe as if it's this one singular thing. But in the Old Testament, when the concept is introduced, there's actually at least three different types of tithe, minimally, uh, sometimes up to five, depending on which rabbi you listen to unpacking these Old Testament passages. But I, I think we can confidently say there's at least three. There's what's called the Levitical tithe, okay, which is found in the book of Numbers, and this is 10% of your income, like the, the produce, the increase that you received in your agricultural community that year for the hard work that you did. You would bring that in, and, and this portion of the tithe would go to the needs of the priests and the temple workers, people who have devoted themselves purely to the development of their spiritual community. Right. And so these people, they don't have land. They're, they're not working other jobs. Like this is their devotion. And, and because they're devoted to help their community spiritually, they have to somehow be taken care of. They have to eat and be clothed and have a place to live. And so the tithe is given in order to resource them in doing this. Then there's, there's a second category, which is talked about in the book of Deuteronomy, which is what's called a festival tithe. And, and this is a, a, another 10%. Some of you are like, we're up to 20. We're up to 20. I'm getting real nervous. This is, again, we're, we're going back in history here, okay? And this is found in the book of Deuteronomy. And essentially, this is uh, like a tithe that you would bring that would be used for collective religious gatherings, right? Like people getting together for a feast or a festival. It wasn't something that was entirely just handed over. It was something that everybody contributed and then shared together in that moment. It, it created the resources necessary to have this, this collective experience together as they reconnected and refocused on God and prioritized what was most important. And then there's uh, this third category, which is called the charity tithe, also found in Deuteronomy. And, and it, it was 3.3% it was a year, which was actually only get, given once every three years, okay? Um, which essentially every three years, you'd give another 10%, which some of you are like, that is up to 30. That is a lot. And it, this, this was collected and, and essentially was redistributed to meet the needs of foreigners, widows, and orphans, the people who were in need in their community. 
And, you know, even though we're not ancient Israelites, our Christian tradition for a very long time has, has committed itself to some version of a, of a tithing practice. Um, although we, we typically um, view it as, the word tithe literally means 10%, and so we typically have viewed it as 10%, which means, guys, if my math's right, you guys are getting a 13.3% discount here. I mean, that is, a, that is a, you don't even need a coupon. That is a deal. Phenomenal. And interestingly, you know, what we leverage tithe for inside of the church, at least our church, is really the same three categories, right? We, we leverage what is given to the church to actually resource, uh, to pay, to take care of the needs of people who commit themselves full time to the spiritual growth and development and care of their community. We take care of the communal gathering space, right? We create this, this, this place where we can get together, we can experience God, we can come together, we can learn and grow and pray. And and we also leverage some of those resources to take care of the needs of other people, right? Especially those people who are the most needy among us, whether they're here in our backyard or halfway around the world. So why do we do this? Why did these people do it? I think this, this practice of tithing is designed to teach us a very particular principle. And it's this, that everything... Everything God gives us is for more than just us. Everything God gives you is for more than just you. And why is that true? Because you're part of a body. Because you are connected to a community. And in this passage, God is telling these people that their inability to grasp that principle through this practice has somehow cursed them. What does that mean? Because some of you are probably thinking some sort of hocus-pocus type stuff. Which, again, I think is an overreaction or uh, uh, like sort of an exaggerated Hollywood version of what a curse is. In this passage, what this is actually talking about is curse defined as the ongoing natural negative consequences of an unwise action. Like, for example, let's say that you decided that you were going to eat an abnormal amount of sugar in your diet all the time, okay? Um, and you did this so much. There is probably, I'll just prophesy this right now, an accompanying curse with that. And that curse may be, you're going to get diabetes. Okay? And, and here's what that is not. It is not God up in heaven being like, are you kidding me with that Snickers bar? Give him diabetes. <laughs> Take that. Enjoy those injections, buddy. You know what you did, right? It's not, it's not this, this moment. In fact, this curse, right, these curses, it's not really something that God assigns to us. It's something that we bring upon ourselves. And in fact, a lot of these passages, this passage is a piece of prophecy, and that's really what prophecy is at its core. It's someone that is saying, if you continue down this path, this is likely where it leads, which in fact does make certain conversations with certain doctors a prophecy. If you consider, if you can like continue down this path, I can tell you where it is likely to end in a curse. You don't want to end there. You, you don't want to, you don't want to be there. But it's not just doctors who, who give prophecies, right? It's, it's theologians, it's biblical authors. And that's what's happening here. So here's the big question. Like if a curse 
is a level of, of dissatisfaction and destruction that we bring upon ourselves, then, then why does God take it so personally? I mean, think of this from just a logical standpoint. If technically you are cheating yourself and your community, why does God say, you are cheating me? Why does he personalize it in this way? And here's what makes this even more interesting. This is not the only time he does this. In fact, it's not the only time he does it in the Old Testament, and it is not the only time he does it even in the New Testament. In fact, this almost this exact idea comes out of the mouth of Jesus, who's the human representative of God on earth. Now this, this prophecy, this idea of where things lead, certain behaviors or mindsets lead, is not just something that we're being given by someone who's trying to interpret God, but from God's mouth himself. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 42. These people approach him and they're feeling a disconnection. They're feeling pushed back. They're feeling not, not close to God in the way that they want to. And they're wondering why. And this is Jesus' response. He says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked? I feel like I would remember that one. Or sick or in prison and not help you. And his response is, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. So apparently, choosing not to use the resources God gives us to meet the needs of others is directly connected to our relationship with God. Why? Because it's all interconnected. Because you are a part of a body, a community. Because God takes how you treat his family personally. This is true in the New Testament. It's true in the Old Testament. I think it's true now. This little fox of hoarding resources hurts God and it harms those around us and us. And we become cursed with a sort of disconnection that leaves us feeling hollow and lonely and frustrated and unfulfilled. But there is an upside to this. This isn't entirely bad news because in this story of Malachi, he explains that, that, that people who do embrace this practice experience something else. This is verse, verse 10 of Malachi. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple, right? This is an agricultural society. And so most of what they are bringing in, most of their income is in the form of like things that, they're, that are coming out of their field. And it, it gets put in this big storehouse to be redistributed. He says, if you do this, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And sometimes this is presented as saying, like, listen, if you invest a little, God is going to give you a lot. Tithing is going to make you rich. Who wants a yacht? You get a yacht and you get a yacht. Tesla, Tesla. And we're like, yes. Sign me up. It's like, it's like God's little pyramid scheme. You know what I mean? You got to buy in at the bottom if you want to get, get up to the top. 
Okay? That's how it works. You got to get the kit. But that's a distortion. Like, God may bless you financially, but he's not obligated to. And in fact, like, this idea of interpreting blessing as, like, a financial increase is a very narrow Western sort of capitalistic view of this concept. And so what does it actually mean? How, how would you really define this word? What is it to be blessed? It means that your experiences are fulfilling and your efforts are flourishing. It's bigger and broader than like you give a little bit of money, you get a lot of money. It's not that. It's this, like if you in, invest, if you commit and connect to your community at this level, you experience life that is fulfilling, which means it's producing satisfaction and purpose. And you'll feel like your life is flourishing, like, like you are moving in a healthy direction at a healthy pace. And, and to drive this home, God does something really unique. He throws down a gauntlet. He says this in the last part of Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. He says, try it, put me to the test. Now, what does that mean? I know some of you have been out of school for a long time. So you're just like, do I gotta, is this how to do Scantron sheets? I don't hate that. I don't want to, I'm not doing an essay. I'm not doing an essay. Multiple choice, right? What does this mean? A test is an experiment to prove or disprove a theory by putting it into practice for a set period of time. That's what a test is on a broad level. Okay. I, I tested a theory towards the beginning of COVID. I had this idea. I was like, listen, I'm willing to wager that I can eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's five nights a week and stay at this same weight that I am at right now. And guys, I lost that bet, okay? That did not go the way I thought, okay? I failed that test. But here's, here's the interesting thing. A failed test still tells you the truth. Just because your assumption wasn't true doesn't mean you, you haven't grabbed hold of what actually is true. And this idea is all over Scripture that this is something that we ought to test and see what it produces in our lives. There's this, this passage in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 24, that says, The, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Like the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped themselves. Interesting. In other words, like when you live open-handed with what God has given you, your world grows both deep and wide. Your community gets bigger and you feel a deeper connection with those people because the reality is contributing to our community connects us with our community. Your investment in a community changes your perception of that community. You begin to care more about the people you are contributing to. It's a natural output. Jesus famously said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does that mean? It, it means that, that, that whatever you decide to commit to and consistently contribute to, you will become deeply connected to. And this is true about whatever you attach it to. Commitment 
and contribution result in connectedness. And all these passages, it seems like God is saying, you can choose to connect yourself to anything through commitment and contribution, but you would be wise to choose to contribute to what I am already doing in your community. And in fact, that might be the answer to your sense of disconnection. Which is countercultural, right? Our culture tells us that's not true at all. If you're feeling low, if you're feeling disconnected, like you just, you need to get and you need to buy more stuff. It doesn't work. Because the truth is, a lack of connection can't be solved with more consumption. And we know this is true because we can look around at the people we know and we can look around at our culture at large and and we can observe that sometimes it's the people who have consumed the most, who have the most, who have stockpiled and acquired the most, who feel the most disconnected, who feel the most isolated, who feel the most unfulfilled in life. You see, trying to repair depression and disconnection with consumption results in a deep dissonance in your soul that won't resolve. And you may have more stuff, but but you will feel socially and spiritually bankrupt because you are. And notice how the obsession with consumption curses the people in this story. It says this, Malachi 3.13 this is God talking to the people again. He says, you've said terrible things about this. Now this is just sounding like a relationship again. You have said, I heard what you said. You said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? Well, let me read you the text message. Right? Verse 14, he says, you have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of the heaven's armies that we're sorry for our sins? Now, here is what has happened here. Their narrow focus on themselves, their wants, and their needs, like it it produced this position inside of them that is essentially God is only worth serving if he gives me what I want. And I think this, this still happens now to us, right? Faith becomes transactional. God becomes a vending machine. Like if I put in what he requires, then, then he is going to like resource me with everything I could ever want in return. And if he doesn't, then I am going to question his goodness, his love, and even his existence. And maybe you found yourself there. I have. But I got to tell you, as hard as it is for you to hear, the truth is, whatever you would walk away from God for not giving you is your God. And what I think a lot of us encounter, what these people in this story are encountering is that they feel hollow because they are not worshiping God. They're trying to get God to give them what they really worship. And I wonder if you've ever found yourself in that place. Like, God, I'm going to do this, but you owe me. You better hook me up. God, you, I gave a little bit. You better give me a lot. Okay? I need you to do this. I need you to fix this thing. I need you to give me that thing. 
I need you to make this happen. I need you to patch this relationship. That's not worship. That's, that's just a, an elaborate manipulation tactic. It's not you serving God. It's you trying to convince God to serve you. And it, it ends up feeling hollow and lonely. So what does this mean for us now? Let me ask you this. Do you have to tithe? No. Like, will you go to hell if you don't tithe? Not necessarily. Will, will we as a church, like, judge you and look down on you and condemn you and talk about you behind your back if we find out you're not tithing? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. <laughs> We're not that kind of church, you guys. That's not who we are. But do we think that you should tithe? Yes. Why? Because not tithing ends up being this little fox gnawing away at the roots of your fulfillment in life. And like these ancient people, you might be thinking like, I, I don't know, God, I, I came presenting this as my problem. And God's like, yeah, the pain you're presenting though, that's not the, 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 the primary issue. Everything is connected and in fact, your hyper self-focused, consumption-minded way of functioning that you have subconsciously bought in culturally, it's bankrupting you. So you think you just need more of it. But in reality, you're cheating me by cheating yourself when you cheat your community by holding on to what I gave to you in order to help them. You see, we're all connected. Like it or not, you are a part of a body. And this is why I really believe that practicing percentage giving produces peace. That in fact, when, when we decide to embrace a discipline of consistently telling our heart through this action that we realize that everything comes from God and is intended for us to connect to others and serve them with it. We feel this sense of, of peace and wholeness. Scriptures call it shalom, divine peace, balance, and wholeness taking residence in our soul. In our culture, we may call it fulfillment. We feel like everything is as it should be. I don't have everything I want, but I have everything I need. I feel like my, my life has purpose and meaning, like it's pointed in the right direction. I have fulfillment and I, I see flourishing. And if like these people in this story, you're not experiencing a lot of peace. It could be that you're hanging on to everything you've got. And maybe like them, you're thinking like, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying, but I still don't think those two things are connected. This is what I believe that God would say to you. Why don't you test that theory? And see what happens. Run an experiment. And in fact, that's what I want to invite you into 
today. Um, on your chairs when you came in, there's this little card that says 90 Day Challenge on it. It's just the tradition that we have at our church. It's a way of, of giving you an opportunity to experiment in your own life, to run a test and to see what happens when you commit to certain disciplines in your life, to see uh, if you don't see a, a diminishment of what feels like a curse in the increase of what feels like being blessed. And this is the way it works. It's, it's not complicated at all. It is a challenge to give for 90 days, to pick a percentage and to give for 90 days, to pre-pick. That means you decide now, not knowing what is going to happen later. If you're going to have less than you thought or more than you thought, it's committing ahead of time. And it's seeing what that practice <clears throat> produces in your life. And for some of you, it may be just saying like, this is not something I do. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to try it out for 90 days and see what God does in my life. And some of you, it may be like, I'm going to increase what I'm already doing and, and, and allow God to stretch me because I'm leaning in more. I tell you, the way to feeling connected is committing and contributing to something that genuinely matters and betters the lives of others. This is what we are devoted to. Now, if this is not your home church, I want to encourage you to tithe wherever it is you go to church. Your pastor is not going to be mad at you, I guarantee. In fact, have him send me a thank you card. Uh, he's welcome. Start where you are, but make a commitment. And this is what we do. We, we so believe that this really does radically change people's lives. And for us, it's really not about the money. It's about the principle of the thing. That if you get to the end of the 90 days, we've always done this. And you're just like, I don't feel like this made my life any better. Let us know if you filled out one of these cards and dropped it off with us today. And we will give you your money back. We have records of what you have given. And we will give you what you have given over those 90 days back. I've never had to do it. I've been here for almost 10 years now. What I have is a lot of stories of people being like, wow. <laughs> I didn't think this was connected to this. But apparently... They are in the deepest of ways because I've experienced it myself. And as you are filling out that card today, or, or maybe you're going to do it online, you can do that through our Instagram account. There's like a, a little link tree at the top and a 90 day challenge if you want to do it electronically, uh, because since you've gotten a phone, you've forgotten how to write. That's fine too. We accept that. Um, but I want to just pray over you that God would allow you to tuck this into your life and apply it to the way you live, that you would experience blessing and connectedness, just as he's promised. Jesus, we are grateful for the lives that you have given us, for the ways that you have blessed us. God, if we are honest, we have more than we need. God, we are blessed beyond measure. And everything that you've given us is not just for us. And, and sometimes we forget that. We lose sight of that. And God, I pray that we would embrace this challenge that you have placed in front of us to simply lean in and commit to consistently contributing in a very tangible way to what you are doing right here, right here in this community, right here through these people. And God, I, I pray that as we do this, that we would see blessing unfold in our lives, that we would experience more fulfillment, and we would see that the things that we are investing in would be 
flourishing, that we would see healthy movement forward. God, leverage this practice in our lives to make us whole, to give us a sense of shalom, divine peace, balance, and wholeness at the core of our being. And God, as we test you, may we see again that you're always truthful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.